Good morning, church. If you have a Bible this morning, I'd love to ask you to turn to Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one. For the last uh, few weeks, we have been in an Advent series titled Wonder, and we've been discussing specifically uh, the short passage in Colossians chapter one that describes uh, Jesus in the most beautiful and eloquent terms. Today, we're going to be in verse 19 and 20 of Colossians chapter one. And today our topic simply is this, joy. And uh, the particular discussion we're in today is what are those things in our life or what is that thing in our life that sabotages our joy? And likewise, how, are we, how can we be people, how can we become people who experience great joy, particularly during the holidays? So if you have a Bible, Colossians chapter one, verse 19 through 20 says this, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Uh, usually, particularly coming out of our Acts series, I would be reading scripture for the next two or three minutes. So I thought maybe I'd read it to you in another uh, translation or from the paraphrase in uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message, same passage, Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says, so spacious is he, Jesus, so expansive that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things and animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death his blood that poured down from the cross. Our passage today teaches us about two gifts that we receive in Jesus. Uh, the first gift is one that we've discussed before, but one that we ought not ever, ever in our lives lose sight of, and it's the gift of knowing what God is like. The gift of knowing what God is like. Listen, friends. Today, certainly, but also in ancient times, perhaps even to a higher degree, with all the different cultures and all the different ideas about who God is and who God isn't, understanding in a concrete way who God is and not just who God is, but that God is benevolent and altruistic and cares about humanity and has positive good plans for humanity is an incredible, cosmically important gift to mankind. Before we, before we had Jesus, before all of God's fullness came to dwell in him, humanity in many ways was left to sort of scratch around in the dark trying to figure out what God is like, trying to understand through their circumstances what God was like. And as we know about human history, they came up with a lot of ideas about what God was like, and some of those were ruthless, right? dangerous, hurtful, wrong. And then we find Jesus and God says, I'm gonna give you clarity about exactly who I am. I'm not gonna leave it up to anyone's opinion. I'm just gonna show you through this man what I'm like. And all of God's fullness came to dwell in Jesus. And we're blessed because of it. Thank you. The next gift that we see, verse 20 says, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether the things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace 
through his blood shed on the cross. So the first gift we see in verse 19 is the gift of knowing what God is like. The second is the gift of experiencing what God has done. It wasn't enough for God to simply show us what he was like. God acted on our behalf through Jesus to give us new life, to give us reconciliation and eternal life. So there's a gift of knowing what God is like and the gift of experiencing what God has done. Friends, we are recipients of cosmically significant gifts in Jesus Christ. And yet, the part of our passage that caught my attention this week is simply stated in verse 20. There's a concern there for us. Verse 20 again says, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and this, this little phrase, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. By making peace. The peace that you and I enjoy with God. The peace that God works through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. That peace is not a given. That peace was made. Let me read that again. The peace that you and I enjoy with God, the peace that we can even uh, experience in this life through the power of the Holy Spirit, that peace is not a given. We don't wake up in the morning, though at times it seems like it, and it's just always there without reason. There's a reason. That peace was made. It was made for you, and it was made for me. Please understand this. We cannot earn the grace of God. Many of us know that, but... That doesn't mean that grace was not earned for us. You hear me? We cannot make things right with God. Many of us have heard that over and over again, but that doesn't mean that peace with God wasn't made for us. So the question I'm asking this morning, the question that I thought on this week is what happens when we lose sight of the simple truth that peace with God is made, okay? What happens when we lose sight of the simple truth that peace with God is made? Uh, in 2009, there was a documentary that came out. I'm about to pull the curtain back a little bit on uh, how nerdy I really am. Some of you already know that, it's no surprise, but you're about to know it more. So in 09, a movie came out, documentary called Objectified by a guy named Gary Hustwit. Uh, I love this documentary. It's one of my very favorites. Uh, knowing that it came out in 09 and I'm still thinking about it, okay? So it's made, it, made an impact on me. Before this movie came out, he put out another movie that some of you may be familiar with, probably not very many, but it was called Helvetica. And it was like a love story to the font Helvetica and how beautiful it is and how the, the, the difference it made in the world and how good it is that we have that particular font to help us with making things beautiful in our world, okay? So he produced that film, which I'm sure all of you have seen and enjoyed. I enjoyed greatly about a sans serif font. And then he produced uh, this movie, Objectified, in the same way that, uh, that Helvetica spoke so kindly about this particular font that was so eloquently made. It talks about, the movie Objectified talks about the objects in our world and how all the objects that we take for granted in our world are objects that someone made. Somebody made them. The movie starts out and there's, um, 
a chair in a press, like being manufactured, plastic chair that's made, and you just see this thing going through the process of creating the chair and moving it over, creating another chair and moving it over, and starts walking you through the fact that these things that are so mundane, so everyday, things that we take for granted and often don't think about a great deal, somebody sat in a room and designed with hours and hours of, of trying to work back and forth between form and function, okay? Making this thing beautiful and making it work. And then eventually they produced the chair. Right? So for me, I'm watching this documentary and I'm like, I've literally never thought about any of these things before. This has never been on my mind. And that's the point. The point of the movie is to sort of point out the fact that everything around us is designed. Everything. That somebody took time and energy to make all of it, right? To design it to put it into production and bring it into the world. Uh, one of my favorite sections in uh, the movie is about toothbrushes, okay? Uh, I think we have a toothbrush throw up on the screen. I thought about bringing my toothbrush, but it was kind of gross and dirty and I didn't want to bring it, I was embarrassed. So there's a toothbrush. And um, not like gross and dirty, like just had toothpaste on it, come on. <laughs> Easy, people. Goodness. Amen. They talked about a toothbrush, perhaps one of the most everyday things that we have in our homes. Right? One of the most easy to take for granted items in our home. And yet, this particular item that was created for us as human beings prevents a plethora of health issues in us. Right? All of these things keeps our teeth clean, Helps us not lose all of our teeth. Some of us, some of us end up there anyway because of Sour Patch Kids and so on and so forth. He, just, he goes on to talk about how that toothbrush that we take for granted was made by somebody. Right? Somebody sat in a room on a CAD program or in some other kind of design program and designed that thing so that it fit in your hand a particular way, so the bristles fit on your teeth a particular way. Eventually they created motors that moved that thing in a circle so it could clean your teeth in a particular way and we never think about it and this is what ends up happening when we never think about it. We stop appreciating it. See that? It becomes so commonplace that we stop appreciating something that really blesses our lives. You can see where we're going this morning, right? Like the toothbrush I mentioned, Far too many of us grow so familiar with the peace we enjoy with God that we lose the wonder we once had when we stood before it. And when we lose sight of that simple reality that one, this is profoundly beautiful what Jesus has done. And two, it was laboriously, painstakingly made for us. I remember when I was a little boy, um, there was a story that became very famous in my family. Um, we still talk about it to this day. And the story basically goes that my aunt and uncle um, purchased a present for my oldest brother, Brent. And Brent had a lisp, uh, which isn't wrong, but he did. And um, he opened the present, right? Has it in front of him opens the wrapping, opens the box, and inside he sees the gift, and his, his word is clove, right? Anybody ever been there before? Clove, right? 
clothes, right? For some of us, it's like socks, okay? Or underwear or whatever. So this story has lived on. Every time someone gets clothes in our family, everybody in the room in the circle goes, clothes, right? And we all laugh about it and that sort of thing. But here's the part that's interesting as I've gotten older, the part that's really started to resonate with me as a parent, as I have children who get gifts at this point. Number one, that aunt or uncle who bought those clothes for my brother spent their money that they earned from their job to purchase those clothes for my brother. And while he felt entitled to a beautiful gift that was a toy of some sort, they actually did work very hard to make sure that he got that, okay? And when you remember what the person did who got you that particular gift and not just that you don't like the gift, suddenly the gift takes on a different meaning altogether, doesn't it? But then this started to hit me. What if my aunt and uncle bought the clove, basically taking the bullet for my parents because my mom and dad, what? They wanted to give us cool gifts that we enjoyed, right? Is that possible? Absolutely, we do it every year. It's like, hey, so-and-so, Carter needs some sweats or he needs a new hoodie or he needs this or that and you take the bullet so that the parents don't have to so they can get the kids the cool presents so you end up being not cool so that the parents can be cool and we thank God for that, right? That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Right, so I'm coming to appreciate clothes more than I did whenever I was a kid. And it's because the moment that you start to bring back together, right? You have this disconnection between gift and giver. When that distance starts to close and you start to think about the giver and what the giver did in the context of giving you that gift, not entitlement, but intense gratitude blossoms in those moments. And that's what we want. But you have the other side where the kid opens the present and there is no context and they're only thinking about the gift and they say clothes and right. And the problem is they don't remember the context with which they got that gift. They don't know what was done so they could have that gift or else they would feel grateful for it. Instead, you get entitlement that I was entitled to something better than this, right? And this is the part that's wild that human beings who absolutely cannot earn favor with God would somehow begin to believe they're, they're entitled to the grace that God offers them every day, yeah. right? Why? Because they forget the giver who gave the gift. They forget that Jesus made peace. It didn't just happen, right? We weren't due peace. We weren't owed it. God made it for us through his son. Uh, just a real quick, a similar illustration. I, I've just been seeing this meme out there. I wanna be sure to correct it because it's garbage. But there's a, there's a meme out there that has two kids getting a gift on Christmas morning. The first meme, uh, or the first picture is of a child getting an N64, which stands for Nintendo 64 back in like 1994. And the kid is going bananas. Like his life, you can see his face. This is the actual picture. His life is full. Like I got an N64 and I remember this moment. All right, and there's another picture that I couldn't find this week for some reason, but it's another meme of a child who has gotten a PS5, but he got it in tandem with his brother. And he's throwing an absolute fit about the fact that he and his brother have to share a PlayStation 5, which is another uh, entertainment system or video game system. 
Here's the deal, friends. For those in the room who know, a PS5 costs $500. That sucker is not cheap, right? And here's what the meme says. It says, kids in the 90s and kids today, which the correction is bull on that. There were entitled, spoiled, rotten kids in the 90s in the same way that they're entitled, spoiled, rotten kids today, and there were grateful flying off the wall for a Nintendo 64 kids, and there's grateful flying off the wall kind of kids today. The point, though, in all of it is that some of us live entitled lives, and some of us live grateful lives, and some of us wind up miserable in life, and some of us wind up filled with the joy that comes with being a grateful human being and recognizing the blessing that God has poured out on you. At the end of the day, this all comes down to a lack of uh, appreciation and perspective, which of course brings us back to joy. Did you know that joy is the fruit of gratitude? That joy is the fruit of gratitude? This is what Brother David uh, Stendhal Rast says. He says, the, the root of joy is gratefulness. It is not joy that makes us grateful, it's gratitude that makes us joyful. Another quote for you, and you know, whatever you think about Brene Brown, she's done a lot of research and some of it's really good. This is what she said. The relationship between joy and gratitude was one of the important things I found in my research. I wasn't expecting it. In my 12 years of research on 11,000 pieces of data, I did not interview one person who had described themselves as joyful, who also did not actively practice gratitude. She goes on, for me, it was very counterintuitive because I went into the research thinking that the relationship between joy and gratitude was, if you are joyful, you should be grateful. But it wasn't that way at all. Instead, practicing gratitude invites joy into our lives. So I'd offer, we lack joy in our lives because we stand before what has been made for us with cold indifference rather than wonder-filled gratitude. Can I read that for you again? Many of us lack joy in our lives because we stand before what has been made for us with cold indifference rather than wonder-filled gratitude. Everybody take a deep breath. Let it out. That was a gift, right? One more. Beautiful. Let it out. And that was a gift. And we could go on and on and on. And the moment we realize it's a gift, what does it produce in us? Gratitude. If there's enough of that gratitude, it produces joy. That someone thought enough of us to give us lungs that breathe without us having to think about it that someone thought enough of us to give us health and the ability to show up this morning. And we could go on with that list, couldn't we? We could just keep rolling through it if we wanted to because when you really get down to it, our lives, even when they're hard, even when they're at their most difficult, are filled with more blessings from God than we can possibly imagine. A couple weeks ago, Steve quoted John Piper and he talked about this this beautiful quote from Piper about... um, God's doing a thousand things in your life and you know like three of them, all right, that's true. Um, But I think it's the same when it comes to the things that we feel gratitude for, isn't it true? 
that God has given us thousands and thousands of things to be grateful for and we're aware of like three. And perhaps part of becoming the people God has called us to be is remembering who made this life that we enjoy. So what do we do? What's the response to all of this this morning? I wanna give you a couple of actionables today uh, to take with you. Uh, What do we do in response to entitlement or just ingratitude or just uh, a forgetfulness about the things that God has done for us and the things he has made uh, for us and in us? So uh, let me give you a couple. If you're taking notes, write these down. The first thing that we've got to do in the process of uh, seeking to be these kinds of joyful people is reconnect the gift with the giver. Again, write that down if you're taking notes. We've gotta be people who reconnect the gift with the giver of that gift, okay? Entitlement occurs as distance increases between the gift and the giver. And we forget that sometimes, right? Like the best example of this that I could come up with this week, I know it's a little bit gruesome, but it kinda is what it is. On all these hunting shows, and the guys I talk to, I'm not a big hunter, I like to fish, but uh, on a lot of these hunting shows, and even like with fishing, sometimes I'll kiss a fish before I put it back in the water. I know that's gross, but it's like, hey, thanks for letting me catch you. I know that was painful, right? (laughs) A lot of times you'll have hunters who take a deer, and in the process of taking the deer, they have, it's not a prayer, but it's like a, a conversation. It's like, hey, thank you for giving your life so that I could have you and eat you and have nourishment from you. And I know that seems silly, but this is a real thing. A few years ago, I remember I was with Carter, uh, my oldest, and he was little at the time, so don't make fun of him because he was like three or four. We were sitting at a donut shop on Friday doing donuts with dad. And, you know, when you go to a donut shop, you always get a donut, but you also get a kolache because protein, right? You got to have protein. (laughs) So we had donuts and kolaches, and we were eating them and bit into that little pig in a blanket or kolache and and we're looking at it, and Carter's like, what is that? And I was like, oh, well, you know, why is it called a pig in a blanket? Well, it's because what's inside of it's a pig. And he's like, that's not a pig. He's like, what, what, what do you mean? He's like, well, that's, that's pork. He's like, well, what's pork? Oh, okay, here we go. We're gonna do this now. I was like, well, in order to have pork, a pig has to give us some of itself to eat. And he's like, what's that mean? Like, you just like, like, no. You know, as a dad, I'm trying to skirt around the fact that I'm gonna have to talk about slaughtering animals with my son over breakfast on Friday. But eventually we get there and I'm like, look, son, here's the deal. All of the protein that we eat for the most part comes from an animal who laid down their life so that we could live, that we could have the nutrients that they have in their bodies. We take them and it helps us to live. And his eyes are like, oh my gosh, you murdered a pig to give me a pig in a blanket. What am I supposed to do with that information, dad? Now I gotta go to school, that's great. What if I tell my friends, are they gonna send me home? I don't know, this is crazy. But in that moment, we, start, we, we continue that conversation. He's like, okay, so like, what about chicken? <laughs> like, well, your great-grandmother, Mama Mac, would go out in her backyard and get a chicken and dispose of it, and then she'd go and pluck it, and they'd eat it. And he's like, no, 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 what? Just blowing his mind. You know why it blows his mind? Because there's distance between the gift and the giver of the gift. You see that? And as long as there's distance there, people have the tendency to grow cold or even 
uh, just sort of ungrateful for the thing that happened in order to give them that gift, right? Because there's disconnect between the two. And then it gets worse. People start to feel entitled to the gift, right? Because it's always there. We can do this with God as well. We have a tendency to do this with God, that if there's distance between like what we're enjoying, the blessing that we've received in our life, and even our own salvation, we have a tendency to take for granted the fact that someone made this for you. And the way Jesus made peace is by laying down his life so that you could have life. As soon as you close that gap, gratitude starts to flow, doesn't it? When you start to realize, oh, Jesus did a lot on my behalf for me to be where I am today, suddenly there's a lot of gratitude and in turn there's a lot of joy. See that? This is why we, down here, it's why we take the Lord's Supper to some degree. It's, a, it's an exercise that we do as a church that Christ commanded us to do that closes that gap between gift and giver and allows us to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made so that we could have life. Right, and as we remember what Jesus has done, his body broken for us, his blood poured out on our behalf, it produces joy in us because we recognize he gave us something we could never earn on our own. Praise the Lord, right? Amen. That's, that's just the beauty of the Lord's Supper. And we're gonna get to do that in just a moment. But again, the first thing you gotta do is reconnect the gift with the giver. The second thing is this, remember the gift of the giver, okay? The giver himself. Remember the gift of the giver, the work and the sacrifice and the blood and the sweat and the tears to get you the gift that you enjoy, right? Reconciliation isn't simply something we enjoy, it's something that was made. We've said that more times than I can count this morning, but it's important to remember, this has been made for us. Peace was made for us by a peacemaker, and that peacemaker is Jesus. And so we remember that not only are the gifts that he's given us good, but we remember that he himself is a gift to us, right? Going back to the first part of our chapter, God showed us who he was in Jesus. His fullness dwells in him, and then God, through Jesus, brings us redemption. And we remember that it's not just salvation that's a gift to us, it's Jesus himself who is the gift to us. And not just on Christmas, every day of the year, right? This is why uh, we make time to remember Jesus' sacrifice. It's why we make time every week to focus our attention on him because he is the great gift. So remember the gift of the giver. Um, I feel like we are in and entering even more so a season where we have great possibility. I don't wanna say this. There's great possibility to forge routines and practices that form us into grateful people and therefore joyful people. Here's my concern, I'll just tell you, and I mean, I'm sure I'm gonna get an email over this, but it is what it is. I'll just reply back and be nice, so. It feels like in our day, it's like there's this tension, it's like we wanna separate secular Christmas from sacred Christmas. We wanna tell people all the time, Jesus is the reason for the season, which is true. Jesus is the reason for the season. But in the process, we sort of reject commercial Christmas. Like that is, even thinking back to Charlie Brown complaining about how everything's commercialized these days, right? 
And so we reject that piece of Christmas and we complain all the time about giving gifts and receiving gifts and how much everything costs and so on and so forth. And I'll tell you, it can be bad, but I will also tell you this, in the act of purchasing gifts and giving them away and getting those gifts and receiving them and seeing what's inside of them and making a decision and how you ought to respond to them, we can actually practice becoming the kind of people that God would have us become. This is a season where we have unbelievable potential, especially in our kids, to help them practice gratitude, right? Practice thinking about who gave this to me and what they did to be able to give this to me. You have the potential to, to let a child get a present that they don't like, but value the person who gave it to them because they sacrificed so that they could have socks or clothes, right? Or whatever that thing is. We ought not reject it. We ought to embrace the fact that this time of year gives us a chance to practice the very way of Jesus on our families day in and day out. Here's the issue. We take things that are good as human beings and we twist them, don't we? Right, we go into debt. We are entitled to gifts that we should not feel entitled to. We end up... Um, I could go on and on. Lots of different things that are bad outcomes of a season that's built around generosity. But listen, don't let humanity's propensity to sin ruin an opportunity for you to teach yourself and your children and your neighbors the gift of Jesus and the possibility of learning, to be gra uh, learning gratitude throughout the Christmas season, okay? Does that make sense? You tracking with me? And then... Above all, let every gift, teach your kids, teach yourself to remember that every time you open a gift, it is a foreshadowing of the greater gift you received in Jesus Christ and his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Right, what if we taught our kids that? That's good, right? Hey, you just got a PS5, that's awesome, but did you know that you got an even greater gift? Aren't you grateful for that? Let's be grateful for that as well. You gotta see where I'm going. As we enter this season or as, as we continue on in this season, my hope and prayer for you is that you would learn the art of, of um, connecting the giver and the gift. And as you learn that art that you would, you would uh, develop and uh, God would even form gratitude in your heart that would produce great joy. Uh, one of the things I know that everybody in this room hates more than anybody is fake joy guy. You guys know that guy or that woman? She's like your neighbor three doors down. And you're like, oh man, it's obnoxious, right? Fake, hear me on this church, fake joy is obnoxious. But real joy is contagious. And if you want it, be grateful for all that God's done, especially for what he's done through Jesus on the cross. Let's pray. Lord, we want real joy in our lives. We don't want this like man-made, fake, uh, always smiley and it's awkward kind of joy. We want the kind of joy that's abiding, the kind of joy that is a derivative of a grateful life, a life that remembers uh, what you've done, a life that, um, that consistently connects the, the gift of your son and the gift that he's given us in our salvation. So God, help us to remember today. Help us not to take things for granted that you worked so diligently for. 
Help us to see the enormity of your salvation. Help us to appreciate the incarnation of your son. That when humanity didn't know what God was like, you gave us the gift of Jesus. God, you shower us with gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. Oh God, give us awareness that we might be grateful and let that gratitude produce undeniable joy in our lives, regardless of what we're walking through. And then finally, God, I just wanna say thanks to you that even when other stuff in our lives gets taken away, that the gift of Jesus and the gift of your um, salvation and our redemption and reconciliation to you is the gift that can never be taken from us. We praise you for that, God. Remind us even on our worst day that there's still a gift that can't be taken and fill our hearts with joy. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you have any questions about what you just heard, we'd love to talk with you. You can get connected at hnw.org about what we believe or how to join a small group or follow us on social media as well. Thank you so much for joining us and we'd love to see you soon.